everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast. We're real excited to be with you guys on this podcast. As you probably know by now, we are talking about how the best investors in the world make 20, 30% per year compounded with, I know, with less risk than most people take in a mutual fund. (laughs) (laughs) And they do it. What else are you going to sell me, Dad? (laughs) (laughs) And they do it. All right. Now, listen, they do it incredibly regularly over long, long periods of time. We're talking 30, 40 years compounded at high rates of return like that. And the key is, are you ready? The key is to buy investments. Those are businesses, whether they're public or private. You buy investments where you have a high degree of certainty that you're going to be selling it 10 years out for more money than you paid for it. Ah, so who knows what will happen in the interim 10 years, but on the magical 10-year mark, you will be able to sell it for more money than you put in. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. Do we really care about what happens between year one and year 10? And the answer is, yeah, naturally we do because we're watching our retirement. Um, But the right way to be in this game emotionally is whenever you buy something, you think of the 10-10 rule. The 10-10 rule. Yeah, I thought you might ask that. The, what's the 10-10 rule, Dad? <laughs> the 10-10 Dad, rule. what's the 10-10 rule? Can you tell it to me? What's the 10-10 rule? It says you shouldn't buy something for 10 minutes unless you're willing to hold it without a stock market quote for the next 10 years. Uh, that one. That one. Now, the without a stock market quote is really interesting because no, for example, real estate is something most people feel pretty comfortable investing in, right? You've invested in real estate. Now, imagine if every day, all day long, somebody was shouting prices at you about your you know, condo that you bought as an investment. Every single day, they were shouting new prices. That they could become... I mean, everybody who owns a house, you know, you get it. Like you follow the prices as they go up and down in your town and on your block. And when your neighbor down the street sells their house, you go, ooh, or ooh. Everybody does that. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) From what you're saying, you're You're not tearing up my whole point here. Let me help you. You're not saying that people don't do that. You're saying that it's better if you can avoid it, that avoiding it takes the emotions out of it because what you're gonna do no matter what the price is and no matter what your neighbor sold their house for, you're still gonna keep your house and you're still gonna hold the stock, right? Good, and it'd be better if you just didn't listen to that crazy neighbor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just... Well, right, that's the thing. Like, it's it's hard to pay to not pay attention to those things. But if you're not gonna sell your house, like, you know, in the next six months, no matter what, somebody offers you for it, then there's no point in even knowing. Yeah, and think about it. Maybe you're not going to sell your house for the next 10 years. I mean, that would be how I'd like you to think about this new kind of way of investing I want you to get into. You come into this, like you bought a piece of Boulder real estate. Okay, great. And you were going to be in it for a while. Didn't know exactly how long. But, you know, it turned out you weren't in it all that long and you made a great profit on it. I mean, humongous profit. But... The idea is you come into this real estate deal knowing you're not going to sell it next week or you're not going to sell it in six months. There's no way. Right. I mean, if you're playing games like flip that house, you know, that's not investing. That's just 
speculating that somebody's going to pay more than you did. And that's how literally millions of people got in deep financial trouble in 2008 and 2009. So what we want to do is we want to be investors. And for that, I really want you to think about everything you buy as something you're going to hold for at least 10 years and nobody's going to tell you what it's worth at all for 10 years. You're just going to own it and that's the end of it. And I'd really like you to think about one more thing else too, Danielle. And that is, I'd like you to have a punch card that's got 20 possible punches like you'd get from Subway, right? You got 20 possible punches and you have to punch one of those every time you buy a company that you're okay. going to not think about for the next 10 years. You have to punch a hole and your entire life, you only get to punch 20 holes. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. That's not a lot. So if you started thinking about it really like that, I think you'd be very slow at purchasing that, you know, the first one and the second one, or you would wait until you had a very high degree of certainty about what you were going to buy, wouldn't you? I mean, like certainly like to the level of I know Boulder real estate is going up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's what I want. That's what I want you to think about. Think about it like oh, that. So much, so much like long term thinking. It feels very heavy. Yeah, it's very heavy. It's very heavy. But it gets lighter when you think <laughs> that if you don't do it this way, you're going to end up bouncing in and out of companies or in and out of real estate or in and out of whatever. And I've got to tell you a story about real estate that uh, is amazing about real estate. And it, it applies to all kinds of investments. Um, right after I, I started back to school, after I got out of the Army, I was in La Jolla, California, and I was just starting to learn how to surf. And so I would go down and watch the surfers at Wind and Sea Beach in La Jolla, which is this famous surfing break. And, the, you know, the surfers down there don't like it to be crowded. So, they, you know, I wasn't going to swim out or anything. But I got to know some of the guys who were surfing. They'd come back in and I'd talk to them. And a couple of the surfers lived right up from the Wind and Sea in a house. And there's a bunch of little houses along the beach in there. And these guys, one of them drove a Ferrari. All right. This guy's about 26 years old and he drove a Ferrari. And he had bought real estate right by Wind and Sea Beach, painted up the house and sold it for a profit. And then he did another one and sold it for a profit. Then he did two or three. And he was flipping these these Wind and Sea Beach real estate properties, right? And he had gotten to a place after I knew him for about a year where he cashed out of everything, cashed out completely. Now, this happened to be 1975 when he cashed out completely because La Jolla real estate had peaked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, La Jolla is in San, it's like a small area of San Diego. I think I'm not sure you said that, but down in like Southern California. So it's a very nice area. And I would say without knowing the details, the real estate has probably gone up in the last 30 years. Oh, yeah. Well, you were born. At, well, you were born at a hospital in San Diego, but um, your mom and I had a house in Del Mar, which is not as expensive at that point in time as La Jolla. Um, but to just give you an idea, we sold that house. Now, this isn't 1975. This is 2000. No, sorry. This is uh, 1985. So 10 years later, we sold that house for $205,000 with a view of the ocean out across the Torrey Pines Estuary and Torrey Pines State Park. All right. Small little house, but nice view in a nice neighborhood. 205. 
I just checked on that thing when I went back to San Diego a few weeks ago. And I can't say exactly that house, but generally the prices around there are about a million two. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this house has gone up uh, from 200 to 400 to 800. So it's gone up two, let's see, four, eight. So it's gone up double and a half or so. I two and a half doubles. I wonder how much it's actually gone up though in real dollars if you count in inflation. Well, we can actually figure that out, right? Yeah, so we can first, out. <laughs> first, let's say it's a $1.2 million house. So that's the first double from 200 to 400 and the second double from 400 to 800 and then a half of a double from 800 to 1.2. So that's two and a half doubles. And it's been, what are we looking at here? 30 years, right? Okay, two and a half doubles. So 2.5 into 30 is one, uh, 2.5 into 1.5. So about um, 15 years. Is that right? No. Wait. It's about 10 I years per double. With a real calculator. Okay, yeah, I should use a real calculator. But roughly, it's, it's about 10 years, a little bit more per double. 12. 12 years per double. Okay, on the rule of 72, can you tell me what's the growth rate in the price of that real estate? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good job on that rule of 72 stuff. All right, let's remind, reiterate. Remind me. That the rule of 72 is a quick way to calculate compounded annual growth rates. If you know how many years it takes to double once, Divide those years into 72, and it gives you the compounded annual growth rate. So if we know it took 12 years for this price to double once, you divide 12 into 72, and you get... So 72 divided by 12... Yes. ...equals 6. Very good. 6. So they didn't really focus on math all that much in I either... I have no shame that I just use a calculator to figure that out. No shame! <laughs> I, was, I was watching you use a calculator to figure out what's 12 into 72. So yep. clearly in comparative you know religion... Some of us want to be accurate in our numbers. Yes. So in comparative religion at both Wellesley and Oxford, plus you know graduate school at NYU in law, they didn't emphasize numbers. They did not, uh -huh. no. Yes. There might be a reason that I... <laughs> there, might, there might be a reason. So six, well, what does that mean? Six what? Six percent. I don't know. <laughs> that was a great guess. Was you it? totally guessed. You had no idea. It is actually six percent. That means that on average, every year for the last 30 years... The real estate there, right there by that house, has appreciated 6% per year. So uh -huh. every single year, on average, it's gone up 6%. All right? And that will double your money, and it'll double the price of that house every 12 years. Okay? With me so far? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so this is to say that La Jolla real estate, which is more valuable than Del Mar probably, particularly where these guys are, which is half a block from the beach, that's, I don't know if you're coming back to it, but my my point was, what about inflation? Ah, well, good. All right, back to that. So inflation you said, over oh, this. Oh, it like has it has gone up so much, and I was thinking like, well, has it really gone up that much? Yeah, pretty pretty good that. question. Okay, so inflation on average over the last hundred years is about three percent a year. All right, mm -hmm. but it doesn't just go up on average. So from 1975 
to about 1985, inflation was roaring at as much as 15% a year. It was horrendous. When we sold our house, the house you, you were raised in as a baby, we sold that thing. The guy who bought it in 1985 got a 12% mortgage. I mean, interest rates were off the chart because Reagan was trying to stop the impact of inflation and shut it down by raising interest rates and slowing down borrowing, which in fact worked. So um, the point is that those first 10 years, inflation was crazy. And then from then on, it just started going down and down and down and down and down until recently, it's basically been around zero. So um, the inflation rate now, let's just call it 3%. So if you've got 6% compounded growth rate of the price of the house, and you've got 3% compounded growth rate of inflation, then your true, you know, your real money increase in the, in the value of the house is 3% per year. So it's about half what we thought it was. Yeah, about half, exactly, about half. Um, but this is to say that the guys in La Jolla might have dropped out of the real estate buying business a little early. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he cashed out. Uh, didn't Wasn't there like a crazy oil crisis or something at the end of the 70s? Um, there, was, <laughs> there was a huge inflation crisis and a giant oil crisis and long gas lines. And oh yeah, oil prices went So maybe went the, the guy's roof. a genius, and he cashed out at just the right time, and then got back in like after all that. I don't know. I'm thinking just I, I don't hope- know. I don't know. I mean, the guy's a surfer, and they're genius surfers, and there's not so genius surfers. But I'm going to say that the indicator of not so genius would be that he bought a Ferrari at 26. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. So, you know, for what it's worth, ladies, if you're if you're if you're dating a guy who's 26 years old and he's driving a Ferrari and he does not own a dot com, you might want to question his his fiscal responsibility. And and the reason for that is real simple. It, it's it's a little bit of a joke, but it's not entirely because Ferraris cost a lot of money and the dollars you spend at 26 years old that you don't have to spend are worth, if you're a good investor, those are really worth millions, if not billions of dollars 40 years later when you're 66. So those are the dollars you really want to be putting to work first, right? Not And putting to work on a Ferrari, unless it's a classic, is probably not going to do it quite. Yeah. I mean, it's good that we're talking about this because what we're going to talk about today in our Back to Basics series that we've been doing for, oh, you know, forever, uh, is... <laughs> Is, uh, that's an estimate of time. That's an, that forever. is an estimate of time. Um, is the last of the four principles, which is a a fair price, a good price. What does he say exactly? A fair price. You know what? Let's find out what he says. Okay, good. Let's find out Let's what Charlie says. Charlie, here we, we go. Have not, we have not listened to Charlie in like yep. a month or something, which is just really. Uh, and irresponsible. And if so you just started listening to this podcast, I got to tell you, you just might as well just play this over and over and over and over and over again until you got it, because this is it right here. Fire or just play it over and over. Yeah. So this is Charlie Munger uh, speaking to the BBC in 2012. You can find it on YouTube. And he just gives this very short, about one minute synopsis of his four principles of investing. And we've been talking about them in great detail in our Back to Basics series. So I'm going to play him now. The deal. 
things that we're capable of understanding. And then once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally, no matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense and gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So there we go. Capable of understanding it's got a big moat. Management's got integrity. And we need a margin of safety. And the three most important words of investing, Danielle Marie, are margin of safety. Now, of course, the problem is you can't figure out whether you've got a margin of safety unless you understand the business. And it, and it has some way of predicting the future because it has a moat. And you trust the people who run it. So the first three things are critical in order to get to number four. All right. Exactly. And what he actually said was a price that makes sense. Yep. Very a price great. that makes sense. But a price that makes sense in what sense does it make sense? So let me give you an idea that Charlie's basically saying it's got to make sense as a business investment, not as a speculation, not as a piece of paper, but as a business. In other words, you wouldn't you wouldn't buy a, a piece of real estate. Well, as an investor, you wouldn't buy a piece of real estate just because you hoped that it would go up someday in the future. OK. No, you buy it because you expect it to based on your research. You buy it because you think it'll be worth more in the future because the owner earnings coming off of that business will be more in the future than they are today. And you're buying it at a good price that reflects the vicissitudes of life. You're getting it with some kind of margin of safety. In other words, you want to buy real estate exactly the way we would buy any other company. We just look at it and say, all right, um, what is the rent on this business? What are the expenses of this business that I have to pay? And what's left over at the end of this year that I get to put in my pocket? And then you're going to pay a price that reflects that number. OK, so you want to buy companies exactly the way you would buy real estate. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You want to buy companies the same way. All right. So let's take a piece of real estate. I mean, ideally, um, we could go out here and we could buy a piece of real estate, let's say, that is producing a thousand dollars a month in rent. OK. Mm -hmm. And then I'm subtracting from that, let's say, a thousand dollars for insurance and a thousand dollars for taxes, property taxes and a thousand dollars for maintenance. So I'm going to end up with nine thousand dollars in my pocket. And we're going to call that owner earnings. All right. So I got $9,000 in my pocket at the end of the year. And what I'd like to pay for that would be something like, that would reflect a really nice return on my money. Now, since the $9,000 is the return, it's the interest you're getting by putting your money in the bank, let's say. Right. So it's the return on your capital. And what they call that in my business is a yield. Hmm, OK. OK. So the yield on my revenue, the earnings yield, I want to reflect a pretty good percentage. So I'd like to see it be 9%, 10%, something like that. That would be phenomenal in an interest rate market like this one, where 
you know, if you put your money away for the next 10 years in a US Treasury bill, you're going to get like 2.5%. So if I can buy a house down the street here and I can get 9% the first year, then I've got a pretty good feeling, as long as this is a good neighborhood, that 10 years from now, this house is going to be worth more than it is today. All right, now here's the big question. Why would I think that if I'm in a good neighborhood, this house will be worth more than it is today? What drives that? Think about it. As a business. I mean, what drives that is rents going up. Yes. But the question is, are rents going to go up? And how you know that? Well, you've got the right driver. All right. In other words, the value of this business is going to increase because rents are going to go up. Um, and my expenses will go up with them, probably a little bit. But I've got a nice growth of owner earnings, right? So I'm going to get 9000 year one. But by year five, I might be making, you know, 11, 12,000. Mm -hmm. By year 10, I might be making, well, in the case of this La Jolla real estate or the case of Del Mar, it's going up at 6% a year. So that means in 10 years at 6% a year, it'll almost double, right? Because it's going to double in 12. So if I'm making $9,000 on a piece of La Jolla or, or Del Mar real estate in year one, and historically these things are going up at 6% a year, this isn't to say it will for sure, but in the past it did. Yeah. Then I might be at about $17,000 a year 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Own earnings. Okay. Well, if I'm willing to pay, let's say, nine a, a yield of 9%, which means that this $9,000 divided by 9% equals a price of $100,000. In other words, I would pay this $100,000 to get that $9,000 of yield, which means on my $100,000 that I paid for the house, I'm getting 9%. You with me? I'm with you. Why are you using owner earnings, which is a number that doesn't include your expenses rather than... No, it does include your expenses. We've, we started with $12,000 of, of rent and we subtracted the expenses. Oh, so earnings is not revenue. No, earnings is not revenue. Revenue is the 12,000. The, okay. Then we take out the expenses of 3,000. And this is hypothetical, right? Obviously, and I can tell you right now in Del Mar real estate, you won't be buying anything for $100,000. So more like way out of Atlanta. So the point being that you're going to find the right price to pay by dividing 9,000 by 9%, 10%. Let, let's call it 10%, all right? Because that's easy. If we divide by 10%, then that gets to the same number as if we multiply by 10. In other words, we pay $90,000 for that house. We get $9,000. All right, now let's go into the future 10 years. We're projecting that we're going to have $17,000 of owner earnings. We multiply by 10. That's a $170,000 house. So 10 years from now, when we take the $90,000 house we bought today, we could project pretty reasonably, ballpark, that that thing might be worth $170,000. Mm -hmm. You with me? Yep. All right. So now this is kind of a free lottery ticket. We know we can probably sell it anytime, you know, two or three years from now for at least $90,000, unless somehow Del Mar and La Jolla just start to go to pieces. But... In real estate, the moat, the intrinsic characteristic that protects it from competition, 
is location. And La Jolla Real Estate, they just ain't making it anymore. There's almost no lots available. Everything's been built out. Del Mar Real Estate, the same thing applies. There's no place where you can build a house. That means anybody that wants a view of the ocean, anybody that wants to be near the beach in a beautiful community with super good schools is going to have to pay up. So that's where moat comes into play, which in our four principles, we would have already found that. We would have sort of checked that moat box right. by the time we even get to this price discussion. Right. So in San Diego, you know, you can probably get much, much cheaper real estate right down there on the Tijuana border. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But because it's so close to a problem area, it itself becomes a problem area. Prices are super cheap. So people without a lot of money buy in there. Maybe their kids aren't so well trained at home. Maybe the parents aren't there to give them, you know, proper guidance and upbringing. So they're tougher at school and there's more fights. And so you end up with kind of a flight of people that have more money. They're looking for better schools for their kids and they move north up to Del Mar and La Jolla. See how that goes? So that's basically the moat for real estate is location. And so what we're looking at then when we start to look at businesses is something similar. So for example, I was, I was just looking at, at Whole Foods today, okay? Because they just announced their annual meeting. So I was taking a look at their annual report again. And Whole Foods has, um, I mean, I'm ballparking it here, but owner earnings right now um, of about, I'm, I'm ballparking it, but about $900 million, let's say. Okay? Okay. So the only difference between $900 million and the $9,000 that we saw a minute ago that we were using as an example is uh, five zeros. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's not that the zeros freak us out. They're just zeros that the same basic principles apply. So if I said, OK, I want to pay a price that would give me a 10 percent yield. Then what's my yield? My yield is 900 million. So I divide 900 million by 10 percent and I get nine billion. OK. Easy. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. All I do is just add a zero. 10% divided into that, that's a zero. Or I can multiply by 10, since we're using 10%, and I get 9 billion. Remember, I multiplied 9,000 times 10, I got 90,000. I multiplied 170,000 times 10, I got 100, or rather uh, 17,000 times 10, I got 170,000. I'm just doing the same thing here. I got 900 million. I'm going to multiply times 10, and I'm going to get 9 billion. Now, 9 billion has a certain name in the stock market that you need to memorize. <laughs> what number, what name does 9 billion have? Market capitalization, also known as market cap. Okay. So that's all it means is the price you're paying. It's just Wall Street gibberish. Market capitalization or the price that you're paying for the entire business you can look it up on any website over on our toolbox. It's the first page that comes up. And it says right now, if I put in Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market, it comes up and it says 
billion today is the price of that company or the market cap of that company. In other which words, is, this thing is the number of shares times the share price, right? Yeah, it's the number of shares times the share price. If you wanted to buy the entire 100% of the shares today on the open market. Right. That's what you would pay. Right. So, for example, on the open market, Whole Foods is selling right now for $30.70. There are 318.4 million shares. So when you multiply them together, you get a market cap of $9.78 billion. Now, the thing that's so amazing about this is it's not very easy to go to Del Mar and buy a piece of real estate that will give you a 10 cap. That's a 10% capitalization rate or a 10% yield on the price that you paid for that real estate. You can't, you, I don't think you could find a single one. And yet here's one of the most interesting companies in the world run by incredibly uh, solid management team with high integrity. I would put them in the top 10% of integrity of all the people who are running companies anywhere. And that thing is selling for about a 9% yield right now. That's amazing, particularly since you own some. <laughs> yes. Wow. Right. So I, I, I followed that one. All right. So right away, we see a couple of things. Number one, that one of the really simple ways of thinking about trying to buy a company is to think about it just like real estate. What would be a really good deal in a piece of real estate that you're pretty sure is going to be worth a lot more in 10 years than it is today? And look at Whole Foods in a similar kind of way. Are there more risks than Whole Foods in Whole Foods than, let's say, real estate in Del Mar? Sure. Absolutely, yeah. there are. I mean, the reason that that price, Whole Foods hasn't really had a classic rule one event. You know, they haven't had some catastrophic thing that happened to their company that artificially pushed the price down. I think their price is down because investors, short term investors, are really worried about the competition coming up against Whole Foods. Agreed. And, so, and there is a bit of an event involved in that. In other words, sometimes the event is simply the CEO acknowledging that they've got a problem out there. And then you've got to decide, wow, does that problem reflect a broken moat or is it an event that will be, rec will be fixed within the next three years? Yeah. So yeah. the big question with Whole Foods is, will you would, they... That's interesting, though. You would call that an event. Oh, it's yeah. It's just the CEO just announcing that they've yeah. had a few issues. Yeah, definitely. Huh. And that'll okay. trigger a stock sell-off. Okay. And it did in this case. These guys went from, I don't know, about 60 yeah. down to 28 or so. Mm -hmm. And um, right now they're at 32, so they haven't, re or 30, so they haven't recovered much from their bottoming out. Um, so then what, what, you, what you would expect, I think, from a, uh, I don't know, to a lesser, I don't know, <laughs> a less dramatic event. <laughs> Like something like like that, where it's not like, oh, there's a war somewhere and it's an interrupting our supply line and that's pretty much going to get fixed within a certain amount of time. We can pretty much be sure about that. I can see how that would artificially push the price down for a short amount of time. And then once people kind of figure it out, then it goes back up. Yep. But I'll something tell you like this people are trying to figure out if it's going to go back up with Whole Foods. Uh, you can see an enormous turbulence in the price of the stock that's i mean whole foods makes such a lie out of modern portfolio theory it's amazing you know whole foods was priced at 90 dollars a share at one point mm. 90 bucks a share yeah 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. All right. So it was priced at 90 because it was consistently growing at around 20% a year. And it was the darling of Wall Street. And they, you know, and of course, you know, it'll never change. And um, and then John Mackey came out and said, yeah, well, we're not really going to be able to grow at 20% anymore. We'll probably grow at between 9 and 12. The stock dropped from 90 to 45 almost overnight. I think it went down to 60 and then it went boom to 45 when he made that announcement. And then along comes this 19 or the 2008-2009 recession, which cratered everything. But it took Whole Foods from about 45 down to five. I mean, think about that. The, the market was so emotional around the idea of whole paycheck being a terrible investment because we're in this right. horrible recession. Right. No one's going to buy organic anymore. Nobody will ever buy organic anymore. We'll never be in anything but a recession forever. Yep. I mean, that's crazy thinking, crazy thinking. So it was very easy to purchase Whole Foods, you know, down there around that price because it was so obviously stupid in terms of the long term outcome for this company, which was carrying no debt. So they, it wasn't going to go bankrupt. Right. So you got this great company for sale. Now, here we are. The stock price has gone from five up to 30 in the last seven years. Now, the question is, is this a great price right now? Right. I mean, it's a fabulous price from the point of view of just cash flow. Mm. Oh, and let me add one more thing. I said that the owner cash was about 900 million. Would it influence your decision about this company if you knew that last year, they paid their investors $1.1 billion. In dividends? In dividends and buybacks. Hmm. They bought back the stock as, it, as they should when it's cheap. And they paid out dividends that totaled $1.1 billion. In other words, last year, the yield to investors was about 11 or 12% on the current price of that stock today calculate that with the buybacks? Is there a spot to go to to see that one number of dividends plus buybacks equals this much yield? Um, yeah, there's one stop if you're willing to do the math. <laughs> Let's assume I'm not. Oh, oh, no, there's no there's not one stop. No. OK, well, then then you have to do the math. Then you have to do the math. And the place you go to do that is to the Whole Foods cash flow statement on their annual report. And that is the um, what's called the 10K report for the Whole Foods. And you look at the cash flow because there's three financial statements in every single public company 10K filing. And they, they put them in the table of contents by these names, income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow statement. So you click on the tab that says cash flow statement. It takes you right to it. And then you look on that and it says what the distribution of cash is. In other words, it's called financial. It's, there's three categories, operations. Um, and let me, let, me just double, let me just double check what we call them on our website here and make sure I've got them, get the right names for you so you don't get too confused about them. Um, By the way, while you're doing that, I figured out a way to remember the three parts of the financial statement. Oh, yeah? Are you ready? Yeah. It's a little visual. I'm visual, so here's how I remember that. Okay, good. The statement is like okay so first you think like it's so it's an in and out visualization Are you ready dad yeah so first it's like the money comes into the company and that's how you remember income statement you want to know like what's coming in 
Very good. Then the money all sits there, just sitting there right there in the company. And it's sort of like, you know, like a scale, like kind of balancing it out. So that's the balance sheet. Oh, I and like it. Then, and then the money just flows out to investors and me. And that's how I remember the cash flow statement. Oh, that's very good. I'm going to steal that for class. I like it. That's really good. Well done. All right. So on the flow out cash flow yes. statement, here's the it's three pieces. So it all just calmly flows, flows like a river. It's all just good energy. Okay. <laughs> There's three pieces to this. There's the chunk that of cash that they get from operations there's the chunk that they get from investing activities and there's a chunk they get from financing activities. OK, so in order to figure out how much they're paying out to shareholders, you look at the repurchase of stock. That's called buybacks in normal language, but it's on these financial statements. They're called repurchase of stock. Mm -hmm. And you look at payment of cash dividends and add those two things together. Cash dividends plus purchase of stock gives you the amount of money that they're paying out to investors. And with with uh, Whole Foods, for example, last year, they repurchased $944 million of stock and they sent out $177 million more in the form of cash dividends. Now, your question is, can you just look at this and go, oh, that's a good thing? And the answer is no. Okay, got it. Yeah, I was just wondering if there's some spot because you just rolled that number off really quickly. So. Right. Well, I'll tell you why you just, I rolled it off. To look at have to look at two lines and well, well and here if, if we get lucky and we've got a good CEO which is tell let me tell you for real and in, in today's age getting a good CEO who'll tell you what you need to know to value the company is a rare thing which is just insane we need to pound on these guys to make them do the right thing but John Mackey's a great CEO and in his letter to shareholders he highlights those numbers so in that letter, he says, we paid out $1.1 in the form of buybacks and dividends. It's right there. Now, you're not going to get that in very many CEOs. They just are jerks when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, so now the question is, uh, can we just automatically say that's a good thing? And the answer is no, because the only time buybacks are a good thing is when the value of the stock is much higher than the price the company's paying. Okay, so if we said, what's the real value of Whole Foods um, that we can buy today at a 9% yield of owner's cash, I got to say the value of that is probably twice that much. All right. In other words, 9% yield is gigantic on owner's cash. So I got to think that the real value of this business, if it's at $30 a share today, the real value of this company has got to be approaching 60 bucks a share. So there's got to be a lot of fear about this company someplace. Um, but that aside, we would look at the buybacks and we would say, yeah, that, that's a really good time to buy back your stock. Now, if the stock was at 70 or $80 a share, it would be really stupid to spend our money buying back stock at, 60 or, or at 70 or $80 a share if it's only worth 60 Which doesn't mean they won't do it. Oh, Companies they'll do it for sure. They'll Now, not Whole Foods so much. They're pretty good about it. But they, in other words, they didn't buy back stock at all when it was really high in 2000, you know, like uh, 11, 2000. Sorry, let me see. When did they buy it back? Yeah, 2010, 9, 8. Well, they should have been buying it back then, too, honestly. 
They should have been buying it back for sure, but I think they were holding on to their cash. So ideally, a company doesn't buy back stock unless it's cheap. But unfortunately, many of them buy back stock all the time because they're yo-yos and, and they just don't understand what they're doing. Um, so I wish we could just say, yeah, 1.1 billion, all good, but you have to know what the stock price is that these guys are paying. Yeah, understood, understood. All right, so I think we got we to gotta stop here with this uh, set of examples and, uh, and dive into this more. You know what I'd like to do next time? Is to what take, would you like to do? I'd like to take a look at companies that come up on our, our screening tools as being on sale and see if we can figure out why. Oh yeah, that would be helpful to figure out. What did he say? A price that makes sense. A price <laughs> that makes sense. Let's go into that next time. I don't know why that cracks me up so much, but it's just the most vague thing you could say. Yeah. Price that makes sense. Yeah, and I so mean, it's so simple. Out, as usual with Charlie, we gotta figure out what that means. Exactly. All right. I, so I hope cool. Charlie hears about this conversation we're having about his stuff. If he, I would really like to take you to Munger's annual meeting if we can go and. and you mean at Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting? No, Charlie has his own. Oh. Yeah. That'd be cool, huh? That would be cool. I know. So let's try to go sometime. All right, we got to jump off of here. Um, all right. So thanks, everybody. <laughs> That's right. Dad has, Dad has some other stuff he wants to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely do. And also, I just want to remind everybody, if you want to come and learn these principles, like three days packed learning, no selling, not going to hustle you. Um, we're just going to absolutely teach you for three straight days. Come on over to Atlanta. Um, and once a year, I think in May, we do this in San Diego. We go out and visit Elena and do a, an event out there in her neck of the woods. And... Um, and so you guys are invited, and if you'll just click on the link, what's the link? It's investedpodcast.com. Very good. And then just follow little instructions to click on the right things to get to the workshop. We'll give you a scholarship. You don't have to pay anything um, other than your transportation and hotel and food. We're not going to pay those for you, but we'll teach you for free. All right. And we gotta send, go. us any, send us any questions to questions at investedpodcast.com. Yep, Thanks, everybody. Do. See you guys. Time to go play. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do is enter the special podcast code stockpile that's s-t-o-c-k-p-i-l-e stockpile into the application form and you guys can attend for free so everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's danielle's opinion and it is not to be taken as investment advice because i am not your investment advisor nor have i considered your personal situation as your fiduciary this podcast is for your entertainment and education only and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.